open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, where we just heard a song about that. I am not going to try and sing that song, but that song sticks in my mind. And I wanted it played just because uh, you'll never forget that one guy caused the Babylonian captivity because he was a liar, right? Um, so this genealogy gets passed over over and over in, in Matthew's gospel. And I spent most of last week just setting up what we're going to do today is look at some of those names on that list. Um, I'm going to read them again. Again, no song will be involved, but um, let's, let's read Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Uh, yeah, Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Jashon. Jashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon's father, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatiel. Sheatiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zaduk. Zaduk, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the father of Jesus, who is called, I'm sorry, Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Let's pray. God, we open your word to a, a place that's just full of names, and uh, we don't see many familiar names, at least in our setting. We've Few of us have named our kids, people on that list. It's just different names, um, God, different times. But you're telling us a story there. You're showing us something, and I pray, God, that we would get something out of this today, that your Holy Spirit would show us where our name fits on that list, where we, too, are a part of your family. And uh, just thank you that this list is what it is. And teach us now, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've entitled this message, Whose Child Is This? Last week was, What Child Is This? And I first wrote that. I knew what I wanted to say, but then I thought, I've heard that phrase used different ways. Like if you're ever at a crowded place, a park, or a shopping center, and you come across a stray child, you might say, Whose kid is this? You know, try to identify the parents. I've even heard... Uh, one parent say to the other when their child maybe did something uniquely embarrassing, like, whose kid is this? It must be yours, not, not mine. Well, what I had in mind was the more derogatory term of an illegitimate child. 
Jesus for his entire life would be by those who looked down upon him because he wasn't born of the right family or he didn't live in the right neighborhood would say he's nothing but the carpenter's son. And uh, there's an episode in Matthew's gospel later on when in chapter 13 when Jesus tells a parable and he came, people came and they were listening to him and they said, where does this man get his wisdom, his powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? And where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown, in his own town. So he didn't do many miracles there. There's another episode in John's gospel when Jesus asked some of the Pharisees who their father is. They, I'm sorry, they asked Jesus who his father is. Now I want you to think about this for a second. We know the Christmas story when somebody asks a man like Jesus that comes from questionable lineage and um, unusual birth circumstance, says, who's your dad? That might have been a dig at him, knowing that many people doubted that he was a legitimate child, but an illegitimate child, they thought. And they said, who's your father? And he goes, you do not know my, me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Jesus is talking about the heavenly father. Later on, they would protest against him. They say, we're not illegitimate children. And I think there's a dig there too, like you are. And so when we sing songs like, what child is this? It's, there's more to it than just a Christmas carol. And I, I started to rewrite whose child is this with that in mind. I didn't get very far, but just see if this makes sense to us. Whose child is this in Mary's womb? The wedding's set, but it's too soon. Joseph is a righteous man, and they abstained, so I'm confused. Whose child is this? See, that's what was going on at the time. That's that's what was going on. Now, David writes this later on. I'm sorry, Matthew writes this later on. He's not writing it like as it's happening. It's not a, 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 a headline that's broadcast at that moment. He's compiled these notes later on and brought it. But the same thing's up is who is this Jesus? Does he come from an illegitimate family? And so... That's what we're going to look at today, and I want you to have that in mind, that it's not, it's not the wonderful birth announcement that we celebrate often in our day. So the first thing I have is the family tree. This is indeed Jesus' family tree. It's the lineage of Jesus. It's the genealogy of Jesus. And point A is it had been a long history. When you look at verse 1, for instance, when he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he goes up on verse 17. There's 14 generations from one to the other and 14 from the other. What is being recounted here is not just like I can only go so far back in my family tree before I get lost in it, you know. This is generations and thousands of years back to Abraham. And we covered some of that last week and the promises that God had made to Abraham. But thousands of years, even including in exile. What, what the setting of this is a, a people, the nation of Israel, who was waiting for that Messiah. It had been a long time since those promises were made to the nation of Israel. And so point B I put down there is they had lost hope in many ways. And I want to start weaving our story into this too, because maybe you at one point were hopeful that God was going to do something different with your life. 
You know the promises are there. You were hoping it was there. And maybe, frankly, like then, you've kind of lost hope. Nothing seems to change. Year after year, for them, decade after decade, generation after generation, the promises are just hollow by now. They're under Roman rule. They've been promised the king, the King David. I think I briefly told you this story last week. I kind of did a little more digging, but there was a time when a king felt threatened by David's family, and there were some people that admitted to being of David's line, and he looked at their hands, and they were all calloused. Well, kings didn't work, and he figured, well, these guys are just laborers. I don't have to worry about them, so he let, he let them go. Normally, they would, they would kill them. Not only was the nation in a low point, the kingdom of David was in a low point. Think again of the poverty of Joseph and Mary and that whole situation. They're royalty. Where's the inheritance come down, right? Where'd the prestige come down? There was no motorcade that led them into Bethlehem. And yet they're the line of King David, which is, says something about where the nation is, says something about where the line of King David is. And it had been 400 years since God had even talked to them. And so when the angels start popping up and telling Mary and Elizabeth and Joseph and the shepherds that the Messiah has been born, God hadn't said anything for 400 years. So again, to weave our story in here, maybe you knew the promises of God and you've lost all hope and you don't hear God talking at all. Well, God wasn't done yet. And finally, he shows up. Galatians tells us, Paul writes us, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those under the law that he might receive the adoption of of sonship. He finally showed up is is the way this goes. I think of little children, and we were once them, many of us, or we have them, they get really excited about Christmas, don't they? They can't sleep the night before, they just, they're the first one, you know, they never wake up that early in their life, but they're down there that day. That's the kind of anticipation that the nation of Israel and the people of that time would have been expecting the baby to come, the Messiah to come. They were just longing for that to happen. So that's kind of lost hope, finally shows up. And what Matthew's saying, and this covers last week, Jesus is that legitimate heir to the throne. This is the line from Abraham to David and David through the exile to the Messiah. And so that's when you get to verse 17. All these generations, 14 and then 14, bring us from Abraham to David to the Messiah. Matthew's making that point. This is what I spent all last week on. Matthew's making the point that Jesus is that legitimate baby. He's that legitimate heir to that throne, the promises of God all coming true. Well, the problem with Jesus' family tree is it's a fallen tree. And so here we'll get into the names. It is uh, helpful to me to know that Jesus came from a dysfunctional family, a broken family in many ways. It, it, if When you start reading this, here's where all the skeletons come out of the closet. Here's where you realize, oh, uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so or my great-grandfather or this or that. We really don't like to talk about him or her. Well, guess what? Jesus had those kind of relatives too. And Matthew's making the point that this is the guy you've been waiting for. When I say it's a fallen tree, I want you to think about two specific ways of thinking that. They are certainly spiritually fallen. That's what a lot of what I'm going to talk about in point two is all about. And as I mentioned, they're also literally fallen as a nation, as a kingdom. There's just nothing there. It's, it's, it's been chopped to the, you know, to the ground. There's just no hope there. So as we go through these names, I want to, I want to put them in certain categories. And as we go through these, I want you to think with me, 
why God would include these kind of people in this list. Because there's people left out that, that Matthew could have included that would have made it look a lot more respectable. Okay? I think there's a reason that these people are listed there. And so you play the game with me. Why would Matthew include that group of people? The first group is the faithful people. There are several lists there. I didn't count the names. I should have. But about 10 of them, if we read our Bibles and read through the Old Testament, we'll say those were at least portrayed as faithful people in the Bible. Abraham certainly is one there that he be, he lived by faith. He offered his son. We, you know, he, we, we know that Isaac is one of those that by faith blessed Jacob. Jacob is also one of many of these are found in Hebrew chapter 11, the hall of faith. Jacob blessed Joseph's, each of Joseph's sons and he worshiped as he leaned on his staff. Ruth, you know her story. She believed that, um, the people of God, that she was going to be a part of that. Samuel, David's in there. Solomon's certainly in there at times. Asa's in there. He was one of the good kings. Jehoshaphat, Josiah, Hezekiah. All those people are included in the Bible as people of faith. They're presented as either good kings or, or, and, and they have their problems, but they're presented as the good guys in the Bible, the good women in the Bible. And God always searches for good people like that. But as I mentioned, all these people had their problems too. So while I classify them as faithful, I want you to understand that it doesn't mean they're perfect. We ought to strive to be faithful people too. God's always looking for somebody whose heart is fully committed to him, the Bible tells us. But Abraham lied and Jacob lied and deceived and David committed adultery and murder and Solomon was off base too and Asa bailed out on God. Hezekiah became proud. And so while I've got a title up here as the faithful ones in this list, Understand this, it is not their faithfulness that makes them faithful. Does that make sense? There is no such thing in the kingdom of God as somebody who is self-righteous and acceptable to God in that sense. Now, we can be self-righteous in a sinful way. But even their inclusion here is a reminder that some of these people, while they're portrayed as faithful, they need God's grace. The best person in this room, we could have a contest and try to decide who that is. But the best person in this room is a condemned sinner before a holy God and needs the grace of God. And so even this list of good people is there. Romans 3.12 says, All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And Paul writes, which is more and more becoming my favorite verse, 1 Timothy 1.15, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, I don't don't burn your sweatshirts and your t-shirts, and, and don't burn me for this. But there's a phrase, and I like the phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. I guess don't take this too far, but get what I'm saying here. You and I are the reason for the season. The reason Jesus had to come and be the reason for the season is because there was a bunch of sinners down here who God wanted to save. So go back a little further. Jesus is the reason for the season, but what's the reason for the reason for the season? It's because a bunch of numbskulls down here like us. Numbskulls is too light a word, by the way. A bunch of sinners like us. You and I are the reason for the sinner. Or for the, we are the sinners. We're the reason for the season. Christmas is about God sending his rescuer, his redeemer. And I think I, this is the, the image I had in my mind this week. Every once in a while you hear a story about 
some foolish hiker that disobeyed the do not go beyond this point sign and they find themselves in a dilemma and at taxpayer expense a bunch of helicopters or climbers swoop in and they save them and a bunch of people say if you'd have just followed the sign you wouldn't have been there in the first place. Uh, the do not swim, you go out where you shouldn't be in the ocean and sure enough a lifeguard comes and puts their, you know, their life on the line to get you out. And we sit there and say, what foolish people do they even deserve to be rescued? Let me tell you that. That's us. That's us. That's why last week I said there's different ways we sin. We don't do what we should. We don't measure up. All that kind of stuff. Jesus didn't just come to rescue us. He came to rescue foolish people who didn't do what God told them to do. And it literal great sacrifice came and rescued us. And we ought to scratch our, our heads and say, do they deserve it? The answer is no, they don't. They put themselves in that situation and yet God sent his son to die for us. And so even the faithful need that kind of grace. Well, the second group is there's a bunch of foreigners in this group. The nation of Israel and the people that Matthew's writing to very definitely prided themselves on their nationality, their race. Matthew's making the point that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. But if you go through this list, and it's a weird way to you know, promote the Jewish Messiah, is to say it includes people like Tamar, who was a Gentile. She was a Canaanite. Rahab, who was also a Gentile, also a Canaanite. By the way, and I'll get to this in a second, Tamar wasn't just a Canaanite. She dressed herself as a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law. Okay? And you might throw her under the bus, but she knew her father-in-law would be looking for a prostitute. So while you're at it, throw him under the bus too. Ruth was a Gentile. She was a Moabite. That was a group of people that came from Lot's family. Bathsheba, by marriage, she married a Hittite. These women are in this list, but they're all Gentiles. I'll get to the part that they're girls here in a second. But again, why would you include, if you're trying to impress people, the fact that foreigners were in the Jewish line of the king, right? The reason is, and here I'm going I'm to help you a little bit. I'm, I've asked you to think through, why would the Bible at the very beginning of this gospel say there's, there's Gentiles in this list? Could it be that Jesus came to save all people, right? Paul would write about that. The wall of hostility has been broken down. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Well, third group is the girls, the females. They weren't just Gentiles, they were girls. And, and this, this never sounds well in today's, you know, heated, but they were girls. Let me start with that. And, and also let me start with this. It, we can't relate to this and I don't, condone this, but the women at that time would have never been included on any kind of legal document or any kind of genealogy. They were property. They, they couldn't, their testimony wasn't permissible in court. Why would you put them on the list? In fact, Matthew could have chosen, if he wanted to put women on the list, other women like Sarah or Rebecca or Leah, but he put those ladies I just told you about who all had so let me kind of recap this. Why would he put women on the list? Because God came to save both Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. And in that day, it was much more condescending. And, and I don't even think I could get you to grasp that other than trust me and believe me in, in that part. But they, they were bad women at that in many cases. They had at least 
So why would God keep including these illicit relationships and these illegitimate children? Because think about Mary and Joseph and Jesus. He's born into that kind of... I mean, that's his family history, right? Is this confusion about who's dad and all kinds of stuff. D is the failures, and I've kind of been leading to this. It's not just the women, as I mentioned, but Judah's in there. We know some of these names and we forget. Judah was a great man. He's all the way through there, but he married a, a Canaanite woman. Um, he, he's got his list too. Tamar's the one that seduced him because she knew that he'd be hanging out around looking for prostitutes. And by the way, when he got caught with that, or I'm sorry, when Tamar got caught with that, they were ready to string her up and kill her. And as a down payment, Judah had basically given his driver's license to them, a, a ring and a, and a scepter. And she says, well, then tell me who these belong to. And all of a sudden, oh yeah, it's Judah. And Judah's on the list. So is King Rehoboam, who divided the kingdom of Israel. So is Ahaz, who was an ungodly worshiper of pagan gods. By the way, Ahaz, that ungodly worshiper of pagan gods, is exactly where Isaiah swoops in and says, I'm telling you, you don't believe God, but out of your, uh, the virgin will give birth to a child. So that's Isaiah 7. He's talking to this wicked king who didn't even want to hear from God, at least hear God's promises. Manasseh is Judah's most wicked king. And as I was just digging through these different men and, and women, if I were God, and I'm not, you guys have figured that out by now. If I were God and there was a the most wicked king on the throne, I would get him out quick. Well, God let him sit there for 55 years, longer than any other king in the nation of Israel. So just think of how we get all worked up about what God might be doing and why didn't he do this? He let the most wicked king sit on the throne for 55 years. Let me ask a couple of rhetorical questions. Did that stop God from doing what he was going to do? The answer is no. In fact, it highlights his goodness and his grace. So as we get a little worked up in this world, just understand God knows what he, he's doing. Manasseh would kill anybody who disagreed with him. Second Kings said, he led the nation astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. They were worse than the Canaanites and all those people because of Manasseh's leadership. Again, why does Matthew include these people? Because they're us. It's who that, it's who he came from. It's again, the broken family that he came from. E is one more category, the forgotten. We see names like verse three, Hezron and Ram. Uh, nobody can figure out who these guys really are. There's jokes about, well, there's a Dodge truck named after one of those guys, right? Or a football team. But verse 13, Abihud or Azor or 14, Achim or Zadok. There's a bunch of, there's that bunch of forgotten people. The reason they're forgotten, by the way, remember I told you for 400 years, God didn't talk to the nation of Israel. They apparently lived during that intertestimonial time when God wasn't do, recording as doing anything. And so these are people who didn't make the headlines. We don't know anything about them, but they showed up on Jesus' family tree. And I would make the question again, why would Matthew include people that we don't even know on that list? Because I'm convinced there are people for, who feel forgotten by God, unnoticed by the world, and God has them as a part of his family too. 
So maybe that's you. Maybe you've never been the most wicked king of Israel. But you just feel like nobody notices me. There's no hope. You're on the list. God knows. God, God was aware of those people, even though the whole world was silent about what God was doing. And the joke that I tried to tell last week is a little bit about you can't choose your family, right? Well, Jesus did. The creator who said, I want my son to come through this line, knew it was that line. He, he picked, again, he was not just a friend of sinners. He came from a family of sinners, and he did get to pick that. Nancy Guthrie wrote a book called Saints and Scoundrels in the Story of Jesus. And it's about the people Jesus associated with. But speaking just of his ancestry, she writes this, If the story and secrets of your life were recorded for all to read, just think of that. We know these people because God chose to record that stuff. If your story includes scandals, adultery, incest, the stories that are here, you're going to fit right into his family. If you've been deceitful or hateful, if you've used or destroyed other people to get what you wanted, if you've touted your religious credentials to impress other people when in reality you wanted nothing to do with God, welcome to the family. If you've taken God's generous provision to you for granted, if you've doubted God's promises, if you've presumed upon God's protection while also ignoring Him, we can see the family resemblance. If you have no hope to be accepted into God's family other than the perfect record of your righteous brother Jesus, then you can be sure that you've found your forever family. No one gets into God's family by being born into it. You must be reborn into it. And no one gets into God's family through good behavior. The only way for us to become a part of God's family is by grace and through faith. Matthew wanted us to see the family of Jesus was made up of people who are less than perfect. This means that there is hope, and there's a home, and there's a future in his family for people like me and people like you, no matter what we've done or how we've failed. Again, to quote Paul, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst. Jesus is related to people like us. He can relate to people like us. And he can reconcile people like us to a holy God. Point three, this is a fruitful tree. So I've, I've gone from it's this family tree to it's a fallen tree, but it's not over yet. And so I, I mentioned to you when I got into point two that when I said fallen, I meant spiritually, like they were in the dumps. I also meant literally the kingdom was done. It seemed like there was no hope for the nation. They were under Roman rule. And so that third point is what I want to bring out now. When Jesus came into the world, he was, and this is point A, he was the branch that God promised. And so Isaiah is quoted often when it comes to the birth and the life of Christ. And back in Isaiah chapter 11, there's a section that's in the NIV has a heading called the branch from Jesse. And it says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So picture, and this is literally what Isaiah is talking about, a tree that's been chopped down to the ground and it's dead. Hundreds of years later, all of a sudden little branches start popping up. And Jesus is that life out of that dead stump is what Isaiah is saying. And here's the rest of that chapter from Isaiah. 
The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions to the poor of earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips will slay the wicked. Righteousness. I'm not going to sing. I don't care how. There is only one. I don't even know that song, so I couldn't even try if I wanted to. Majesty is. All right. <laughs> After that uh, musical interlude, uh, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all people. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. See, when Jesus came, he came to a fallen nation. He came to a fallen people. Those, those Gentiles, those women, those sinners, he it brought life into that. When it all seemed dead. And my heart has been all week, and I keep asking this question, why would Matthew put those names? Because he wants to bring life into your dead situation. You might feel like it's over. You might feel like you've blown it or somebody else blew it for you. I'm telling you, God brings life out of that stuff. Point B I have is the believers. It's not just that Jesus was that, that sprout that came out of that stump. But he continues to do that through people even up to today. Jesus would tell his disciples, you will do greater things than I do because I'm going to send my spirit. And people from all over the world are going to hear this gospel. The branch that started with Jesus, his family tree was not totally dead. It started with Jesus and it continues to this day. There are people in Jesus' family right now here. We're his brothers and we're his sisters if we believed in him by faith. He's given us the right to be adopted into his family. We are forever changed because of the grace of God. It's who we are. We are that messed up group of people, but we believe that Christ saved us, that his righteousness is applied to us. It's not only who we are, and if we never grasp that, then we're in trouble. I just want to say that. We will be the self-righteous people who won't really give our lives to Christ. But listen, if that's who we really are, that's who we're after as well. Let me tell you who really responds to the gospel and the good news about Jesus Christ. is losers and sinners and people who've been beat down. The brokenhearted. Those who need mercy. Those who have lost all hope. See, when we realize that's who we are and God saved us out of that situation, we should look around at those who are in the same situation and say, you know what, they need the hope I've found in Jesus Christ. They may be outsiders looking in, but so were we. And Jesus can take our failures even and make them fruitful like this says. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Some of the difficult times in your life, maybe you're going through them right now, some of the most difficult times in your life, God has brought fruit out of those. He strengthened your faith, or you've been able to serve somebody else with a, a different sensitivity or compassion to that. See, God, those generations and generations, God was writing his story through all those failures. 
And he's even writing it through your failures and the things that when people have failed you. And so point C, I just have the beginning. Um, The fact that Jesus came after that death was just the start of something. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I'm telling you, the best could be yet to come. That, That God could begin writing a different story. That all those skeletons in your closet, all those embarrassments, all those things of shame, God can use. I don't mean this funny at all, because I don't mean it this way, but are there people in your life, or maybe in your past, you yourself, who you're just embarrassed by? Or you don't like to bring up in polite conversation? There's, there's, I've given you bits and pieces of my testimony and you know enough to know that I'm the worst person in the room, I think, and all that kind of stuff. But man, I don't want to sit down and just tell you the dirt on it. I'm embarrassed by that stuff. It's stuff I'm ashamed of now. Well, God has frankly used that and will use your life as, as bad as it may be. This is a new beginning. You could stand in a whole new direction today by giving your life to Jesus Christ. I told you Jesus chose his family and he chose his friends. What's even odd about this, and and again, I I get too clever with words, I think, sometimes. But Jesus also chose to marry into this family. We are his bride. So it's not just that, you know, he was born as a man and and all that kind of stuff. But he said, I want to marry that kind of family. If you read the Old Testament, there's stories back there about adulterous women who God says to the prophet, you go clean her up and you go win her back and you go marry her again even though she cheated on you. And Je- that's a picture of Jesus. where he, he chose to marry us. With his own blood, he purchased us as his bride. And God can bring fruit from fallen people like us. Here's the... Uh, let me wrap it up and then give you a couple thoughts. <laughs> that's a, and then give you a few more thoughts. And, and it'll be... Chief time by then. This is God's story. Think of, we just touched the surface of all those, all those generations of just what is God up to? He's writing a story of redemption. Your life may be chaotic. He's writing his story. It's about God. It's about Jesus. Nobody would say, well, Jesus was just born in the right family. It's about the merits of who Christ is. And it's about you and me. It's his story through Jesus to reach people like us. That's what this is all about. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this genealogy. Words, names we can't hardly pronounce and um, certainly don't understand what's going on. Um, Hopefully more so today than we did. Um, God, I thank you that your Bible is honest enough to show us the, the warts and all, the embarrassing things, the the bad things, uh, the wicked things, God, from the people that you claim in your own family. And so, God, if there's any here today that think they're too far gone to be invited into your family, um, may that have been wiped away today. They will fit right in with this bunch. God, thank you for choosing to save wicked, unfaithful people, people with no merit of their own other than trusting in you. God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, would you move them to accept you this morning, God? For those of us that have known you, maybe for a good chunk of our life, help us 
be reminded of what it means that you've included us in your family. And then, God, share that with other people who need you desperately too. Thank you that Jesus the Messiah came. We worship him. We give our lives to him, God. We want to honor him with all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.